0: Language and Power Podcast, Episode 10. It's vital that we protect this package or blah, blah, blah. In this podcast series, we look closely at the language being used in and around COP26. According to the official website, the COP26 summit will bring parties together to accelerate action towards the goals of the Paris Agreement and the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. Language is crucial to understanding the climate crisis, to formulating solutions and negotiating political and economic pitfalls. It's crucial to communicating science findings and recognising the social, political, and economic conditions which have brought us to crisis point. Language is interaction that can accelerate action, but language is also performance. and Performances can be used to distract from inaction, to avoid action, or postpone it. And language is what we focus on in this podcast series. Hello, I am Michael Farrelly. I teach English language at the University of Hull, and I'm joined as always By Tom Barlett. Hi,
1: Tom. Hi there, Michael. I'm Tom Barlett from the University of Glasgow, where I teach on the Applied Linguistics Masters and and, uh, Discourse Analysis generally. Nice to be here again.
0: So uh, the COP26 event is over. We've had a text which they called the Glasgow Climate Pact. So we'll start off just talking about that that came out over the weekend. Uh, It has an introductory section and eight subsections. The sections are science and urgency, adaptation, adaptation finance, mitigation, finance technology transfer and capacity building, loss and damage, implementation, collaboration. And there are 71 numbered clauses. And one of these clauses in particular, grabbing a lot of the headlines um, on whether or not COP26 was a failure or a success. And that clause is clause 20. And it reads like this calls upon parties to accelerate the development, deployment and dissemination of technologies and the adoption of policies to transition towards low-emission energy systems, including by rapidly scaling up the deployment of clean power generation and energy efficiency measures, including accelerating efforts towards the phase-down of unabated coal power and phase-out of inefficient fossil fuel subsidies while providing targeted support to the poorest and most vulnerable in line with national circumstances and recognising the need for support towards a just transition. So that's the key clause that everybody's uh, now talking about. Within that, there are that phrase, phase down and unabated coal power and phase out of inefficient fossil fuel subsidies. So the, the modifiers there are doing a lot of work. Unabated coal power so coal power which is not filtered or, or um, going through carbon capture storage technology and inefficient fossil fuel subsidies so what counts as an inefficient fossil fuel subsidy so those are the kind of key issues and, and they, they leave a lot of in ambiguity in that in that uh clause
1: they do and it's, it's, a, it's a very long clause we just as you say, this is one that most people are focused on and there are other things being said, but there's just so much in here that you talk about in terms of ambivalence and, and potential ambivalence and mitigation that it's hard to know how much is actually being pinned down here. Of course, phase-out is there's no negotiating what phase-out means, that means zero. Phase-down, of course, just means not as much, so it's hard to know exactly what phase-down means. Other interesting use the words, accelerating towards phase down. So accelerating is making things faster, Towards phase down is making things slower. So everything's made to look very positive, like a lot of action as well, which is interesting. Uh, accelerate the development, uh, adoption of policy. So scaling up of the deployment, it's all made to look very purposeful and mm-hmm. positive. But in there, there's, there's other stuff going on. Yeah, they don't have to phase out fossil fuel subsidies, or even fossil fuel, but only inefficient fossil fuel subsidies, while providing targeted support, not just any old support, to the poorest and most vulnerable, in line with national circumstances. Again, another caveat, and recognising the need for support towards just transition. Uh, It's hard to tell if that's a caveat or something positive there.
0: Yeah, the, the focus is on coal power, unabated coal power, and not on other fossil fuels.
1: Yeah. and I, th- I think we were saying well, we were, well obviously this one's been over the news all the time and people talking about it but and it's all pronouncements of this sort in the political language are phrased in this very tempered mitigated language so it's it's this is no different from other pronouncements yeah. or of in that respect but the amount of Ambiguity that's there has led to very different interpretations of this. I mean, many people have seen this in a very positive light, despite all those mitigations. Whereas other people have condemned it uh, very roundly and out of hand.
0: Mm. Should we have a look at some of those? We we've got a few a few different takes from different people on this. And the first one is a campaign email from Greenpeace, which gave an immediate yeah. response to this. Yeah,
1: yeah, and exactly so much a campaign email is is. They're asking people for. Action, and I think of all the things we're going to look at, they're all interesting. None of them that we're looking at today are outright condemnations, and none of them, even from the prime minister, are outright is outright praised to the thing. But, but it's all a question of that that old joke: Do you want the good news or the bad news first? And we'll see that all these different speakers either highlight the bad, the, the negative, or the failure aspect of it, or the positive aspect, and then just throw in the bad uh, side as, as at the end. This is, in linguistics, we then analyse this as framing, which is how you present the same argument in different ways to make it appear different from the socialist analyst Irvin Goffman. And so, for example, when you get to media studies, you talk about you can show the good news and the bad news and you can report them both and appear objective, but if you put the good news in the headline and then put the bad news in the tail end of the article, this is seen as an overwhelmingly positive article and creates a positive feeling of the readership. If, on the other hand, you put the negative aspect in the headline and only mention some of the benefits at the end, it's going to have a much more negative effect on the readership. So I'm just looking through the Greenpeace letter. It says, hi, Tom. That's me. COP26 is over. And once again, world leaders, especially from richer, polluting nations, have failed to do enough to tackle the climate crisis and show real support for developing countries. The only reason... We've got one little progress we did is because young people, indigenous leaders, activists and countries on the climate front line forced concessions that were grudgingly given. Without them and without people like you standing with them, these climate talks would have flopped completely. So we see this very negative aspect of uh, the developing nations having failed. While at the same time, uh, there was some positive action from young people and indigenous leaders, but the overall message is one of gloom. Nonetheless, we can see the positive side, which comes up later. It says, despite the last minute wrangling, a signal has been sent that the era of coal is ending. So again, we see that there is a, a glimmer of hope. There's a door open. But the emphasis very much in this email, which is a campaigning email, is that we've got to keep pushing at that door. And it's only thanks to the tenacity of various people. We've got the indigenous groups, uh, the Greenpeace supporters, and later on, a few countries like Costa Rica and Denmark and other nations being mentioned, that this very ambivalent message with a lot of failure about, a lot of incompetence, but there's this glimmer of hope, but we've got to keep pushing at that. And so what the Greenpeace message then is targets very specific actions, which is uh, to stop Boris Johnson now coming back and, t- make, and ignoring his promises because he's flew off in a helicopter to uh, talk to fossil fuel companies with an aim to opening up another coal field and an oil field within the UK. So I'm just very interested in terms of the evaluative language There's a strange mix here. It's really talking about the incompetence of the governments, the, the it run in COP, the ineffectiveness of the mechanisms, but then the tenacity of this group of people. This we talked before about creating different constituencies. So we've got here a constituency that there's countries like Costa Rica Denmark, indigenous people and it says people like you and me mm-hmm. so we're there on the side of the angels against the side of the other side which is the the polluting nations and their inefficiency just like their inefficient coal work so very interesting and It calls you to take specific action and then actually to gives you a chance to push a button and send a a reminder message to boris johnson's gmail or Outlook calendar so I'm very targeted action quite amusing and in the end what they're allowing you to do
0: yeah, as you say, framed as being a the positive outcome, or anything that's positive is, is due to yeah, people people who would take this action. It, and, and saying a, a very similar message a prominent uh, U.S. climate scientist Michael Mann, who um, is a, a professor of atmospheric science at uh, Penn State University in the United States, and he's written an opinion editorial in the Los Angeles Times co-written with Susan Joy Hassel, and their message, the headline in in that particular article is Glasgow's hope at a critical moment in the climate battle. So in that case, in this framing, it's very much leading with this positive, there's hope to come out of this. And what they say in the article, the final COP26 decision statement for the first time in a COP agreement contains language directing all nations to increase efforts toward phasing down unabated coal and inefficient fossil fuel subsidies and then so there's the positive then it says though it gives no firm deadlines yes the last minute change from phase out to phase down at the behest of india was disappointing and the reference to unabated coal leaves a dubious carbon capture loophole so they're doing something similar they're Balancing their views they're putting a positive view and a negative, view, but this time putting it the other way around, and the emphasis very much on the on the hope there emphasizing the good side of things that has come out and and kind of burying the the bad side of things uh later on um and and I think focusing in on some of the phrases that you know many people have have um focused on that phase out to phase down um but also naming. One of the nations that was uh, seen to be, or reported to have been, uh, responsible to this, for, for it, India, on insisting on this change, and th- the narrative seems to have, you know, started to become what about India and late, later China having to explain their their actions, and, and I think that's an interesting um, narrative. But I think the key point is there is an ambiguity, and even people who are trying to be balanced about this, are seeing well. There's a, there's a there's a good and a bad about this. So we've spoken previously about the president of COP, Alok Sharma, British politician, um, and we've got a, a clip of him describing the uh, agreement, the, the Glasgow Pact.
1: I apologise for the way this process has unfolded um, and uh, I'm deeply Sorry. I also understand the the deep disappointment. But I think, as you have noted, it's also vital that we um, protect
0: this package. Yeah, so uh, really interesting, I think, that he starts off there with an apology. And we spoke right at the beginning of this series about um, various types of speech act and whether we could commit to something. But saying the word, I apologise is in speech act theory it is the act of apologizing and um, there's no ambiguity about that he is apologizing for the process and the way it's, it's unfolded and you know he continues he emphasizes that again i'm deeply sorry he says and he understands the deep disappointment um
1: i think as well you see what you see the video which people can see if they if they look at that one of the felicity conditions we talked about before which is you know, for something to count as a valid speech act, these, these things have to be in place. One of them is sincerity. And looking at the clip, he looks quite upset. He, he nearly comes to tears at one point. And he certainly, if, he, if he's not generally upset, he looks at it, so that, yeah. that sincerity is there, which isn't always there when we hear apologies.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the effect is that he's, he's leading. You know, we talked about how you're framing this, and he's leading with an apology. So he's emphasising that bad side of the, of the ambiguity here um but he's then saying, but nonetheless even though it's all it's it's, it's disappointing, even though it's failed in you know in, he's not saying using that that word but but that's the implication he's then saying, but we need to protect it it's vital that we protect this package so it's the metaphor there that you know you've got this delicate thing that um is in need of protection um and it's uh it's a it's a really interesting um way of, of framing the whole outcome of the negotiation that it's not as good as we wanted. It's not. And, and he's kind of been, been up, up, up front about that.
1: Yeah, definitely. But It's the same a hard one game, isn't it? Even if it's not what we wanted, it was a hard one game and we must, it's not enough, but let's not break this mm. move trying in trying to get more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Really interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. And from the, you know, from the, the UK official leader of the COP26 to start off with apologies, quite quite remarkable.
0: Really is, yeah, yeah. And and then that we have a, a contrast with um, our Prime Minister Johnson.
1: Yeah, so he just read as a game-changing agreement, very positive language. Because of course that was what he wanted from the outset. He wanted Glasgow to be recognised as a game changer, one of the big COP agreements. So he's announced it as such which sounds the death knell for coal power. Not quite the death knell, but more an appointment in the calendar for some time in the future. Uh, he's, he admits it was phased down rather than phased up, but he says it remains... He emphasized the fact that this was the first time plans for the convention, very good. But then he, he makes these points very interestingly. Uh, he says, we can lobby, we can cajole, we can encourage, but we cannot force sovereign nations to do what they do not wish to do. For... On our disagreements, the world is undeniably heading in the right direction. There's lots of happy words that we've seen elsewhere. But interestingly, he does say, while many of us were willing to go there, this extra to talk about phasing out, etc., that wasn't true of everybody. So he's actually doing something very similar. He's doing exactly what Greenpeace is saying about Johnson. Uh, the UK government has got far enough, and if we keep pushing and cajoling, we will get them to go far enough because he's trying to turn the tables. He's saying the other world leaders haven't gone far enough, whereas for the UK government, but runs is construing them as the people who are putting the pressure on other governments. So different groupings being created in terms of the narratives as well, positive and the negative.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really is. And this theme of ambiguity and, and emphasis and, and and lack of emphasis or de-emphasis is is, is something that we we kind of just keep keep seeing, keep coming across. How do people report this? Well, the, we've got a, a BBC article which is um, talking about, well, this headline COP26, how my decisions at the climate summit change our lives. And I think this is really important because this is the kind of article that I've seen previously from the BBC talking about how conferences and issues such as climate change, bringing it down to how does it affect you as an individual and here in Britain, How how is it going to affect um, you specifically? And in this, I want to talk about hedging. So in in language and linguistics, hedging refers to any kind of phrase or word that indicates that you're not really, you're not fully committing yourself to the words that you're saying. So um, instead of saying you will reform something, you might say that you will make every effort to reform something. So you kind of slightly get yourself off the hook there. And so we call that hedging. Um, And in this article, it's full of these hedges. So if I just read out a few examples. Switching to an electric car is among a number of lifestyle changes we're likely to be making. Experts predict that new electric vehicles could cost the same as new petrol or diesel cars. Solar panels and heat pumps could become standard in our homes. Uh, Our lifestyles contribute to carbon emissions, whether we're shopping for imported food or flying away on a foreign holiday. In future, we may see the cost of a product's carbon emissions being added to the price we pay so the reporter here is really looking for things to, to report this is what's going to change as a result of this conference but finding it very difficult to be committed to anything so this hedging indicates a great deal of uncertainty about precisely what's going to what, what's going to change and i think the interesting thing about this is that none of these things are different to how they were before the conference, we could you could have written this article before the conference, and you know, with, with this degree of hedging, you could certainly have written before. The none, none of conference. the
1: modality, none of the hedging has been updated from possible to likely, has it at all? That's
0: right. That's right. And the most concrete, the the most concrete. We, now, if you, I don't know if you recall, right back at the beginning, we were talking about commitments and how, in order to make a commi- commitment, one of the c- conditions for that would be that if you. Uh, or we're already doing the thing, then you can't really commit to it. You could could commit to carry on doing it, but you can't make a new commitment to something that you're already doing. And the most concrete possible outcome reported in this article is that um, it is about switch to greener power. So it says more than 40 countries have signed up to phasing out coal, similar number have committed to ensuring that clean energy is the most reliable and affordable option for powering our homes and businesses. For countries like the UK, this will mean continuing the move towards renewable sources such as wind and solar energy and possibly more reliance on nuclear energy. So that continuing the move is something that's
1: already happening in the UK. Particularly with respect to coal, as you pointed out, and which is the the sticking point in that, despite the fact that Johnson is thinking of opening a new coal field, we've got very little coal power left. So this emphasis on phasing down or phasing out coal Is a very weak commitment from the UK, given that we don't really rely on coal or internally produce coal anyway. So it's part of the problem, isn't it? That it's not a a sincere promise.
0: Yeah, 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 indeed. And we had been talking about bringing things down, as with this article, bringing it down to the individual reader's perspective, we've got a lot to think about in terms of bringing this... Whole COP process down to the uh, interests of individual countries, and that seems to be what the argument now post COP is going into. Whether you blame India, whether you blame China, which which countries have have done well, which countries made commitments but but then others that watered them down, and that's starting
1: to has been starting to happen over the weekend. Um, it's interesting. It? So sorry, Michael. No, no what, you... we, uh, we've talked about that base yet more tangible, more real, closer to people's experience. We've gone away from the generalizations To We mm. saw Charles Rich uh, and we saw Arnold Schwarzenegger in different ways saying what this means to my community in terms of positive effects or negative effects. And now, as you were saying, there's, there's a sort of another level where individual countries are saying what it means to them as opposed to different countries. So there's the global level and then that very small scale level. But now... The arguments are at the level of the country. So this means different things for my country to what it means to, to your country, which is what, what mm. caused the delay over the weekend, wasn't yeah. it?
0: Yeah, it was. And it's actually something that we, we we also spoke about earlier on in the series, where in, in critical discourse analysis, so, so things are present or not present in a text, but you can have things that are emphasised or, or not emphasised so much or de-emphasised. And one of the things we noticed yeah early on was that, that coal was being emphasised, but other sources of greenhouse gases were either not mentioned or, or, or de-emphasised in, in, in some way, and that's we noted okay for the for the UK because we've got a very small, almost non-existent coal industry, and, and have been using less and less coal in, in power stations. Um, but not so not so easy for. For countries like India, which which are much more reliant on coal and indeed China and other places like South Africa, and so the emphasis on coal looks now with you know, it, it was always likely to lead to some kind of problem because it 's easier for some nations to commit to phasing out coal than others so it seems to to me that part of the part of where we are at now is not arguing about whether climate change is, is, is real, whether it's caused by human activity, but recognising the situation that different nations find themselves in. and The emphasis really sh- should be on, well, we know that it's going to be difficult for some nations, so how do we work the situation so that we can all commit to something on a par with each other rather than asking some people to do more and some others to, to, be, to do less?
1: Yeah, it was the difference between, what is it, equity and equality, isn't it, mm. where equality, everyone does exactly the same thing, whereas equity, everyone does what's a proportionate to what they need to get out of it so they achieve the same benefit. So uh, equality would be charging a millionaire £10 to go to the football and someone on the tip out to the football. Equity would be giving it free to the people on the dole and charging the millionaire's of pounds for prawn yeah. sandwich munching season tickets. Yeah. Sorry, very local reference there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's that difference, And yeah, so talking not just about the focus on coal, but this is going to sound a bit strange, but in a way, the focus being on, on the environment and sustainability of the environment. And that is, of course, the most important thing going on here. But people have to consider their local conditions and individual countries will consider sustainability and development in broader terms than just the environment. And just by saying this is inappropriate or that the burden is on them, they have to explain their actions. We need to widen up the debate so we can talk about how sustainability and economic development is possible while reducing carbon output globally. Mm.
0: Yeah, it, it just reminds me that in, in some strands of argumentation theory, when you're arguing for something, you recognize the problem, you recognize yeah. the goal, you recognize the means by which you yeah. meet that goal. But you also have to recognize the conditions or the circumstances which, mm. might, which, which might counteract the, the means that are available to you or the, or the likely goals that are achievable, you know, what, which goals are achievable or not. And it seems that um, one of the things that's been missing from at least the the most prominent discourses that we've seen, the the prominent texts, is they haven't articulated those more complex conditions, that context within which you're asking people to change economic systems and the powering of economies. Um, And I'm I'm sure they're doing lots and lots of that behind the scenes, but the headline grabbing part of this representation that doesn't do this. And so there seems to be less um, less sophistication, less acknowledgement of the complexity, uh, and, and an easy um, blame laid on people when things fall down or easier than it would have been. And, and that's I think slightly, that's, that's unfortunate. Um, it
1: is, and maybe all that complexity is hidden in those little caveats like one we yeah. saw in Article 20 where what to us looked like a throwaway night was actually very possibly uh, in line with national circumstances and recognising the need for support towards a just transition. Maybe that's the really mm-hmm. interesting thing One looks like a throwaway line might be yes. that a lot of work is to be done behind the scenes and is being done behind the scenes and that it's so complex it can't be included in, the, in these uh, summary statements or these agreements. So yeah. Yeah, interesting, which, again, it's... What what you mentioned a long time ago? What well, seems like a long time ago, but two weeks ago, uh, backstage and front stage. So a lot of the stuff that we're being shown is just the front stage stuff, and we don't really know what's going on backstage. It's quite hard to evaluate how much of a success this has or hasn't been. Which mm-hmm. which I suppose is why all the reports are, are you know yeah. mixed.
0: Yeah, 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 indeed. I do want to go back to you know how we how we start this podcast every week um and we we do kind of talk about you know the, the importance of language and you know, it really strikes me that that a lot of the people who are commentating on this, including the politicians involved, including the negotiators, including the scientists around this, do talk talk about language and I guess we've we've tried to you know bring something to that um with this podcast as we almost predicted you you, you can have action we can accelerate action through through how use of language, and we can also hide it, postpone it. And there's been a bit of all of those things. I mean, perhaps we were hoping that, that it wouldn't be all of those mm. things, but we can see all of those things, hiding in action, postponing action, taking a little bit of action um, through through what's going on in the language here. And yeah, it's been a really interesting uh, way of looking at this, I think.
1: Well, it's, been, it's been great, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and with that, uh, we will... to our final uh, soundbite but this time now we're going to have a soundbite of the fortnight there's a
1: new jingle for you but of course this time just because it's soundbite of the fortnight and i think it's a question of a lot of the stuff we've seen about people power about the demonstrations we've talked a lot about raising the noise and whether that noise which is in a way a performance in itself is that forcing Politicians into action or not. And that's been a running theme at all, you know. So I think this, to me, it's a dead heat between two, between blah, blah, blah from Greta, which I'm a bit tired of it now, and so are other people, but it was one that will last for a long time. And maybe even if we get tired of it, it will keep this noise going that encourages politicians to more action. But I think that's if we take the negative side and say it's all performance and all noise and all nothing. The positive side then would be it's vital that we protect this package. So do we see it as a load of noise that's achieved nothing or do we see it as a fragile advance that we need to keep working at and pushing at, using that, all the different powers are available to us to push, it, to push it further? So I'm going to call it dead heat on the soundbite mm-hmm. for Fortnite, Michael. I don't know about you. Yeah,
0: no, that sounds good. Yeah, dead heat, I like it. Um, and that brings us just about to the end of our, our series. We call it series one. Um we are thinking about and working on what we might do for a, a, a next series because we've had uh, you know some positive feedback on this. A number of people have been in touch with us asking if um, this the podcasts are available for teaching material and we will leave those up. We're very happy for people to use those. If they're in use for teaching or other purposes, we'll leave them on the website. But we are thinking about what we'll do for a second series and we'll be back
1: we will be back to return to our, the Arnold Schwarzenegger theme. We will, and just yeah. a little shout out for a conference in Glasgow next September called "Communicating Sustainability," which is precisely that: we're bringing together people to discuss what sustainability means to them, without you know having a, a predefined idea of what it means. Is it does it mean social sustainability? Is it the sustainability of a small island? Is it economic or environmental sustainability? We're trying to bring people together to talk about how to communicate across all these differences so there'll be a a call for papers and announcement for that on the uh, podcast website as well
0: yeah so we'll put that on the website and if people do want to keep in touch we also have a button on the website for an email alert so if you sign up for that we will alert you to when the next series is is coming out and also to the call for papers for that really interesting sounding conference so um There we are, the end of our first podcast series, Tom.
1: See you next time. Bye.